Uh, let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> thank you for our time together. And, and Lord, I just want to be mindful of, uh, of uh, Tom, of the seal, and just uh, continuing to lift him up, him and Debbie, and uh, just that you would be with them through this journey. And Lord, um, thank you that you would just uh, continue to comfort and reassure them that, um, that you're totally in control. And uh, Lord, we're so thankful for that. You're control of everything, even the service right now, our time together. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts as we look into your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Galatians chapter 1, and um, I'm, this is like a close guesstimate. I'm trying to, was trying to figure out where we left off last time. A, a month is, well, actually it's been two months because of Labor Day, but there were uh, there's something I want to kind of focus on a few things, and of course we know Paul is is coming against the Judaizers right there. They're saying it's salvation plus circumcision, salvation plus 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 whatever, and we uh, we know that um, that it's Christ and Christ alone we're saved by grace or. You know, what, what Jesus accomplished at Calvary, he, he saved us, redeemed us. John's t-shirt, he's risen, right? He rose on the third day, seated in the heavenlies, making intercession for us. And Paul, um, Paul defended that. Paul defended that. And um, there's, um, there was a saying, that uh, this phrase I found, born again equals being born free. Okay, we're born free to be who we want to be, who we are in Christ. Um, you know, who God says that we are. Um, you know, God doesn't, um, doesn't clone believers. And, you know, if you think about that, it could, it's kind of revolutionary, I mean, to yourself, to think that God created you special. You, you know, you're special in his sight. He created you for a purpose, you know, and there, for a long time, before I got saved, I never thought that there was a purpose. You know, you're just here and, you know, you just do whatever, you work, you know, it's day after day, but they're, you know, just totally different. So uh, we're born free, we're unique, God doesn't clone us. And I don't know if I read these, a couple of these quotes um, last time, but I'm going to just read it, share a couple of them. It says, whosoever would be a man must be a nonconformist. Emerson wrote that. And then um, an art critic, John Ruskin, said this, I fear uniformity. You cannot manufacture great men any more than you can manufacture gold. So it's, so it's good to meet a man like Paul. Um, who dared to be himself in the will of God. And that's what Paul's doing. And but I would, reading through this, I was really just being challenged about that fact, that statement. You know, daring to be ourselves in the will of God. Now, one thing that Paul was accused of uh, was being a nonconformist. Right? They were, I mean, the, the legalists were coming down on Paul because he wasn't conforming 
to their way of their interpretation of the gospel. You know, he was um, an, he w- wasn't conforming. He was like kicking um, against what they thought was right. So, conform. What does it mean? It means to form or to mold, right? To hold to or adhere to. Okay. Now, nonconformity means failure or refusal to conform to a prevailing rule or practice, uh, a lack of similarity in form and type. Now, it's important to make sure you understand who you're conforming, to, or what you're conforming to, and what you're not conforming to, right? Paul is being accused of being a nonconformist because he, um, he doesn't, you know, he believes the gospel. He doesn't believe there's anything to add to it. So he's accused of being a nonconformist. And what we're going to look at is Paul's argument of why what he's saying is true. And he, we're going to see that, and we covered this a little bit um, a while ago when we got into the book, that, um, you know, Paul is making a defense for the gospel, but he's got he's to clear up some things because they're accusing him of kind of adding to the gospel himself. So Paul's got to um, regain some footage, get some credibility as to what he's saying is true. So there's a few scriptures I want to I wanna read because it's, it's so important for us to understand. Um, you know, Paul, there's like a, a million things that, that are in this text but one thing I want to pull out and kind of drive home is the, is the fact that, you know, what are you conforming to, right? What, you know, where, where are you at with that? I, I mean, is the world pressuring you to be something different than what God's called you to do or to be? And it's real because we all face it, even in some of the smaller things maybe that we don't even realize. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29... Paul said, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son, right? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, you know, we're called, we've been predestined. We've been predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That's God's will for us. And it's been predestined. God is going to, that's what God desires, In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world. Hmm. Don't be conformed to this world. Right? But be transformed. And transformed is in the process of being conformed, right? As As we conform to the word of God, as we yield to the Lord, we're being transformed. You know, and that's what, you know, Paul is, Paul is saying this in so many words to these legalists, saying, you're not going to get me to conform to something that is so totally wrong about the gospel. So call me what you want. You can call me a nonconformist. But, you know, Paul obviously wrote Romans a little later. But, you know, all of this stuff is going on in Paul's heart, in his relationship with the Lord. He knows 
the importance of making this point that, you know, we're not going to conform to what the Judaizers are saying. We're going to conform. We're going to be transformed by the word of God and what God is doing in our lives. And that is true today. That is so true today. And you know what? If you don't think that the world is trying to squeeze you into its mold and to get you to conform and get in lockstep with the way they think, just watch 10 minutes of the news. You know, I could give you a list of stuff, but you've, if you guys have been alive for the last couple of years, I mean, you know what's going on. And the world wants you to conform to the way they think, so you'll just zip it, right? And that's what they want. That's what the enemy wants. Church, zip it. Just go along with the flow, conform to what we're doing, you know, you're, you know because who believes the Bible anyway, right? That's what they want. And that's what they're trying to do to Paul. They're trying to get Paul to be quiet. You know, and their reason is because, you know, he's stealing, he's taking converts. He's taking people away from the synagogue. He's taking, um, you know, he's getting into the Jewish community and the Gentile community. So, guys, we can't be conformed to the values of the world. Believers need to be transformed, that is, changed by the renewing of our minds to the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is so critical. You know, I'm preaching to the choir, right? The the Word of God is critical. We need to be in it. We need to know what it says, right? Spiritual transformation starts in the mind and the heart. A mind dedicated to the world and its concerns will produce a life tossed back and forth by the currents of the culture. And right before we got saved, isn't that really what it was? You know, I mean, there were different ideas out there maybe that we held on to, but all it was was shifting sands, tossed to and fro. There was no stability in a sense of, hey, this is right and this is wrong. But when we got saved, all that changed, right? Then we had the word of God and we, this is right. And if it doesn't line up with this, everything else is wrong. Right, we went to a, um, a, it was like a church rally, but they were uh, promoting um, a candidate. And one of the pastors, and all the, everybody that spoke there were pastors. And one of the pastors said, my platform is the word of God. So if you want my support, it has to line up with the word of God. You know, that's, as the church, that's our platform, the Bible. But a mind dedicated to God's truth will produce a life that can stand the test of time, that can stand the onslaught and the influence of the world, because we know better. We know better. So, and like I said, it's a, a huge, huge challenge for believers today um, the pressure to conform is um, unrelenting. But conformity and a man-pleaser go hand in hand, and Paul is going to show us tonight that he's neither of the two. All right? So Paul was definitely not a man-pleaser, and his ministry didn't come from man. We read that back in Galatians chapter and verse 1 of chapter 1. And nor did his message come from man. In Galatians 1.12, we read that. So Paul's heart's desire 
was to please Christ. Paul was a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. In Galatians 1.10, it says, For I do not persuade men or God, or, or do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please man? For if I still please the men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So to please men was neither Paul's motivation nor his source of his authority. But I, I, I like what he says here towards the middle part of that verse. He says, for if I still please the men. So Paul's saying, I did at one time please men, and I did a good job at it too. I could have, you know, Paul was on the fast track to take Gamaliel's spot. You know, Paul could have, I mean, you know, we think of what some people have gave up for the, you know, the gospel. But Paul was, you know, Paul was on his way of being, you know, the elite. So when he says that if I still please men, it, you know, he's telling them, hey, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, I, I'm, my life now, I'm living to please God. And we've all been there, right? We've all made that choice. We got to that point when we accepted the Lord and we decided, hey, I'm not, I'm not living my life anymore for the accolades or to please men. I'm living my life now to please the Lord. And it's, a, hey, you know what? It's a challenge, right? It's a challenge to live your life in a way that pleases the Lord. You know, but God is there with us every step of the way. Um, like I said, Paul's goal was to please the Lord. He would later write in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul was focused, and we can be as focused as well. So, Paul is, is being misrepresented as a nonconformist because he's going against the flow um, with, with what the Judaizers are teaching. So what he does, he reveals himself in this chapter in three different ways. And he's, like I said, he's already confirmed the fact that, you know, he's already identified the gospel and he's already made it clear that it's, it's the only way there's, you know, that it's by faith in Christ and Christ alone. So now he chooses three ways to you know, kind of paints a picture, and we already talked about the first two. Um, Paul talking about himself as a persecutor of the church. And then Paul talking about a, painting a picture of Paul the believer. And then where we ended up was um, a picture of Paul as the preacher. So Paul is going to go into his past. He's already convinced them about the fact that, hey, you know what? I was, I was a persecutor of the church, right? And then he talks about 
how he was a believer. He covers that in a few verses. And then we're going to be and start pick it up in verse 16. But I think it's important for us to realize that um, our testimony is important if it's shared in the right way. When it's all about what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing and what Jesus wants to do, I mean, because, I mean, all of us, I mean, what's our testimony? <laughs> we were lost and we got saved. That's when it starts to become real, right? I mean, but we all have a story, right? We all have a story of what our life was like, what we were into, and then, we real, then God saved us. God met us in the midst of our depravity and saved us. And really, the testimony starts from there out. But Paul is, is telling them, hey, look, I persecuted you, but I got saved, right? On the road to Damascus, he tells them what happened. And now he's talking to them about being, he's, he's the preacher. Um, Paul continues to build his case that he's, he was appointed and called by God um, and that his message was from God. Because remember now, they think he's a counterfeit. Because he's not agreeing, he's not conforming to what they're saying. That it's Christ plus. So they're looking at him as, hey, where did you get that from? Like, who, who are you anyway? Right? I mean, they're calling him out. They're, you know, his credibility. His credibility. And it's interesting how, and, you know, I'm going to take a, I'm going to, I'm going to take a left-hand turn for a second. You know, conformity and tolerance or intolerance, well, basically tolerance, and trying to conform are huge problems in the church today. Huge. What the church tolerates and what the church conforms to. So this is actually... The Lord put this on my heart, and we, we might get this far on Tuesday morning, because we're in, um, at the senior study, we're in, we're in 1 Corinthians, and I was kind of going ahead in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, the, the, the church in Corinth tolerates this, this act of incest that's going on, and I was thinking, okay, looking up some different references, so... Talking about tolerance, in Revelation chapter 2, in the first couple verses of chapter 2, it says, um, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things say, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear, you cannot tolerate those who do evil or who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So the church at Ephesus is being commended because they're intolerant of evil. They're not going to tolerate it. If you go to the end of the chapter, 
the end of chapter 2. And we can start in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like a fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have found a few things against you because you allow. You allow or you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. You know, it's obvious, the, you know, one church is commended for not tolerating evil, not, being, not bearing evil, and the other church is criticized and condemned for allowing it. And, you know, I, I just appreciate Paul so much for just taking this stand. You know, and this, think how critical, I mean, I know it's, it's already, it's, it already has been written, Right, and to speculate with it's kind of um, it's it's not that profitable. But I mean, just think of how important the stand is that Paul is making. You know, sometimes we feel we feel well, it's really not. You know, it's not that bad, or oh yeah, but it's only this. But you know, not you know, it, it goes from only this to then something else, and and before you know it, like you're in over your head. So I, I just appreciate Paul. I appreciate him sharing his testimony, sharing how he was, how he got saved. And now he's preaching. He's preaching to the church and warning them and just explaining and just trying to get them to see that what he's saying is true, that he's a, he's a credible witness. So let's read verses 15 through 23. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, hey, I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years... I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. I would have loved to hear that conversation. Could you imagine? With Peter, and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning these things which I write to you, indeed before God I do not lie. I mean, he's not making this up, right? Afterwards, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. So, Paul, you know, what were Paul's contacts with other believers after he was converted? 
And this is an important question that's kind of vital for his, the defense he's making. Because they're saying that, you know, he, you know, he's not even agreeing with the apostles. Or he, you know, or he's just actually just repeating what he heard from the apostles. So it says in verse 16 that I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Now you would think the logical thing would be when Paul got saved that he would go to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles, get, you know, get their um, you know, input from them. You know, they were the ones that walked with Jesus. But um, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And I really believe that, um, you know, that was um, the Lord directing him. You know, because it would make more sense for him to go to talk to the rest of the apostles. Hey, look, I got saved, you know, and now, what I'm, you know, what's, what's going on, you know. What? He didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. So if Paul had gone to see the apostles after his conversion, his, his ministry might have been identified with that of the apostles, who at that time were all Jewish. And this could have been a hindrance to the work among the Gentiles. All right? So there's a lot going on here. But what, what, I, what the Lord had spoke to my heart about this was, you know, um, God, um, God has his timing. You know, God, God has um, his, you know, it's his plan. We just got to get in step with what he's doing. And I believe that by Paul not doing this, this is, you know, like God putting, you know, putting things in place. The be- you know, this was the best thing for Paul was, you know, what God had planned. And it was God's plan for him not to go to Jerusalem, but to go out into the desert. And we're going to see that. And keep in mind, too, I mean, one, one other thing that we need to understand is that the first seven chapters of Acts tell us that the church was predominantly Jewish. So another thing to keep in mind with Paul. And, you know, after, chap- verse, after chapter 7, after Stephen's death, everything kind of switched. Philip went out to the Samaritans. Peter went to um, Cornelius' house. The Gentiles um, got saved, you know, but one thing for Paul, he was, his ministry was to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, the masses of the Gentiles, into the Gentile world, if you will. So I think that really God kept him separate um, from the predominantly Jewish ministry um, by, you know, by keeping him out of Jerusalem. Because Paul says in verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned to Damascus. So Paul doesn't immediately go to Jerusalem. Um, He goes out into the desert. He goes out into the desert. The Lord calls him out into the Arabian desert. And we're going to see as we keep reading how long he's out there. But instead of conferring with flesh and blood, Paul gave himself to study, prayer, and meditation as he met with the Lord alone. 
And, you know, I have suggested this um, almost every time I get an opportunity to share. You know, getting alone with the Lord is just so important. Spending that time in the Word, just praying, you know, just we call it, you know, quiet time. Just time where it's just you and the Lord. Reading the Word, studying. You know, I, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like. For Paul was out there almost three years. Could you imagine what that was like? And it's funny that the, the, the apostles had three years with Jesus when he was here on earth. Paul had three years with him, just an intimate fellowship out in the desert. Now, that would have been a nice place. to If you could be like a fly on the palm tree or whatever, I mean, that would have been, could you, I, you know, and... Hasn't that happened to some extent to us? And spending time with the Lord, you know, because he, he, you know, just he speaks into our lives through his word. I mean, he, you know, it's just, it's, it's just amazing. It's amazing. So as, you know, Paul, he's, he's hearing from the Lord. And, um, they, you know, a better part of three years in the Arabian desert. In verse 17, it says, in the end of verse 17, he returned back to Damascus. So, I mean, that would, be, um, would have been a good time for him to go to Jerusalem, but he still doesn't go. Uh, the Lord directs him back to Damascus. And, of course, uh, at this point now, he, <laughs> when he got to Damascus the first time, well, you know, when he got there the first time, Ananias prayed for him and he received the sight. So now he's he's gone out back into um, out into the desert. Now he's back in Damascus. So I found a little quote here because where did I do it? All right, I'll find it. So he goes back to Damascus. You can read about that in Acts chapter nine. They want to get rid of Paul, you know, because now he's on fire for the Lord. So that would be um, towards the, in Acts, it would be the, when they lowered Paul out of, out of the window in the basket to get him out of town because um, they, wanted to, they wanted to kill him, right? So one thing to keep in mind, the chronology of what, what happens around this time um, you know, even scholars have a hard time piecing it all together. But one thing that, that's not into question is the theology of it all. You know, what Paul taught and what he said. You know, sometimes we get hung up on chronology, but it's not as important as theology. You know, what Paul is saying is a lot more important than that. So it says in verses 18 through 20, After three years I went up to Jerusalem, now, this is the first of five visits to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. So, Paul finally gets to Jerusalem, right? And it's, um, this is all, this is just the Lord directing him. I, you know, I kind of daydream about what 
he and Peter could have talked about you know, Paul being called to the Gentiles, Peter unlocking the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, could you imagine the conversations that they could have had you know, just talking about that? I mean, and this is like what's happening, what happened in, in Acts chapter 10. I mean, stuff like that should be like in, you know, in the top three things that happened in human history or the top ten. You know, really, the, the, for God to reach out to the Gentiles. You know, so the, what they talked about, it must have been an interesting conversation. But Paul going to Jerusalem, and um, I hope this never happens at our church, but Paul had, Paul had a hard time getting into church. You know, he, these, these guys were not very welcoming. In Acts, um, in Acts 9, I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. Verses 26 and 27. So this is, you know, Paul is in Jerusalem, and it says, when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Even, so he's trying to convince the Galatians, you know, he's writing to the Galatians saying, hey, you know, you can believe what I'm saying. This is true stuff. But, you know, in reality, when he went to the church, they were kind of skeptical. It's like, hey, wait a minute. You know who this guy is, right? So he, he says um, they were afraid. They did not believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas. But Barnabas, good old Barnabas, man. He just shows up. You know, everybody needs a friend like Barnabas, a brother or a sister that is going to be there. And, you know, you know kind of have your back, if you will. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So if, if Paul's message and ministry had been from the apostles, this would have never happened, right? They would have... They wouldn't have been afraid of him, right? They would have welcomed him with open arms. So Paul's making his case. And it says he stayed in Jerusalem only 15 days, and he saw only Peter and James. So Paul firms up his case that he received neither his message nor his apostleship from the Jerusalem church. You know, it was... Paul was driving this point home that he received it from the Lord. He received it from the Lord. So they simply, um, there simply wasn't the time nor the opportunity because he had already received both directly from Christ. The credibility of the word. And before I read on a little further, because I, I there's some stuff in Acts 22 that I want to read, but it's important, I mean, Paul is, is standing on the revelation that he got from the Lord, right? So I, I can maybe safely say he's standing on the word, right? Standing on the word of the Lord. And you know, and you see how confident Paul is in that fact. And I just want to challenge me, <laughs> Seeing that I'm, I, this has kind of been going on in my head for a week. You know, 
we should have all the confidence in the world that this book is the word of God and that every, I mean, we can stand on it and we can proclaim it because we know it's true. And part of the reason why we know it's true is that Jesus has totally changed us. You know, we once were lost, but now we're found, right? So when, we're, when we have the opportunity to share the Bible, we have the opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. We need to do it boldly and with confidence, not arrogantly, but boldly, because it's the word of God. I mean, we're not telling people something that we thought up of or something that somebody else told, told us. <clears throat> We're talking about something that happened to us. Paul was going to Damascus and something happened to him, right? He met the Lord. I don't know where you were going. I was going someplace. I was going to the wrong place, right? And somebody knocked on my door and boldly told me, that Jesus Christ died for my sins, that he loved me. And, you know, so I said, all right, well, if, if you could show me. I said, I don't, I'm not agreeing with you yet. But I was in a place um, where um, I was ready to hear that. You know, and God allowed things into my life that got me to that place, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, because I, you know, I, I wasn't too enthused about being where I was. So um, we, we, you know, we, we know what we're, we're saying is true because we've experienced it. And that's what Paul is saying. And I guess the point I'm trying to challenge you with is that, you know, you need to share it with the same boldness, the same conviction from the day when the day you received it. Because there was no doubt in our minds, right? When we accepted the Lord, there was no, I mean, there was no two ways about it. We were different. Totally, totally different. Not sanctified much, but we were different because something happened. The Spirit of God indwelled us, and we were set free, right? We're born again to be born free. We're, we're free to be who God has created us to be. And we need to be proud of that. Not prideful, but proud. You know, we are. We are heirs. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're heirs to the throne. We're, you know, we're blood-bought sons and daughters of God. And we need to be proud of that because it's the truth. And we've experienced it. Nobody can, can make that. Nobody could change that. Nobody could change it. So I'm excited about Paul, and now he's, so he's saying all this to let these guys know, this is real. This happened to me. Don't let these guys fool you. Don't let them talk you out of what I'm saying. You know, I'm telling you, I lived this. I was with Jesus. I got this from him. This isn't from Peter. This isn't from James. This, I got this directly from the Lord. And you know, it's really crazy is when they all got together and talked about it, everything lined up. There were no contradictions. There was no, oh, well, Paul, where'd you get that? No, none of that. Every, you know, it was, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. So 
So there's a little additional information. When Paul, now Paul is in Jerusalem. So in Acts 22, we get a little bit more um, information about Paul's first visit. So you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read um, verses 17 through 23 of Acts 22. So Paul's in Jerusalem now, and of course he's giving his testimony and towards the end of Acts. But it says, um, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So Paul is going to interact with, um, with the Lord. So I, so Paul said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So Paul is trying to convince the Lord that um, just let me talk to them. They know what I, you know, they know I was persecuting the church and now they're going to see I'm saved and it's going to be great. You know, it's going to work out. So you can see how, how much the Lord listened, right? In verse 21, he, and then he said to me, depart, right? For I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So Paul, <clears throat> Paul is, um, I, you know, he's a quick learner, right? I mean, there's times when my conversation with the Lord has gone a little longer than just a few words, but I'm not, and I'm not bragging about that. That's not a good thing. So he said, depart, I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until um, the, the word, when he said that he was going to go to the Gentiles. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air. And then, of course, in that chapter, Paul saved from you know, the centurion, pulls him out of the, the crowd but, and that's where Paul is going to end up going back to the province to where he lives. So, that's the first time that we learn of Paul's experience toward the close of his first visit in Jerusalem um, after his conversion. So, while he's praying in the temple, you know, of course, he gets that revelation from God, but he debates. He debates with God. And, um, you know, I've been encouraging guys to do a lot of things uh, tonight, but this is one thing I'm not encouraging you to do, is to uh, debate with God. I mean, he's open to conversation, you know, and I think it's a good thing to, um, at times, just kind of have a conversation with God if maybe you need a little deeper understanding or a little bit more info but you know once he once he says like depart <laughs> you know and he's even being gracious I think to Paul because he's telling him to depart and he's giving him a reason why you know but and and I, I do want to I do want to encourage you though to have a healthy um, relationship with the Lord in that respect you know because God I mean we're his kids 
he he wants you to have that dialogue. But when you know, we kind of if you're a parent, you understand you have the dialogue to a certain point, and then you just say, okay, now um, this is the this is the final um, this is the final verdict, if you will. So you know, have it was good talking to you, son or daughter, but this is the expectation. So do it, and that's what um, the Lord does. And Paul, Paul listens, Paul pays attention, and does that. So, back down, back into Galatians, and we, all right, we're doing all right. Verses 21 through 23. And then afterward, now we're back in Galatians, Paul, he's telling us what happened. After that, his time in Jerusalem, um, he went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and then he says, I was known, unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly, formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So I already mentioned it, Paul returns home to Tarsus. And again, um, the record in Acts explains why. His life is in danger in Jerusalem. So the same as it was in Damascus. And this is going to be something that is um, unfortunately um, typical in Paul's ministry. Um, it seems like wherever he goes, um, he stirs up the crowd. But that's, uh, you know what? I, I mean, I'm not wishing on any of us to be dragged out of a city and stoned. But... Um, you know what, Paul was, that's, you know, Paul is, it's the life of um, a nonconformist, if you will. Paul had, you know, he had made the decision when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus that nobody was going to talk him out of his faith. Nobody was going to, nobody was going to stifle his, his witness. Nobody was going to silence him. And um, I, I like that. I like that kind of mindset, and you know it's gonna, it, it's it's going it's getting closer and closer to that where, um, you know, people would much rather the church be silent on issues than be vocal, and it's not even, you know, it's, it's not even about having like this, this confrontation, it's about just the way we live our lives because the world wants us to live our lives a certain way and the Bible wants us to, you know the Lord wants us to live our lives a certain way and once we make that choice there's no turning back so Paul challenged throughout his whole ministry throughout his whole ministry and uh, always always moving forward, um, always trusting the Lord. So what's, what happens to Paul next? Historians concluded that he remained um, in that area, his, in Tarsus, where, um, he was, where he lived. If you remember in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas is being sent to Antioch. He makes a 
the little turnover to get Paul from Tarsus, takes him to Antioch with him, and the rest of that is all in the book of Acts. It's, God uses them in, in really a powerful way. Antioch becomes um, a hub for the church in that area. So I'm going to close maybe with this. Paul is warning the Galatians to be careful what they do with the gospel. For it's not an invention of men, but the very truth of God. And you know, guys and ladies, the same warning applies to us today. Okay, we have to be careful what we do with the gospel. You know, we have to present it in its purest form. You know, we... Obviously, Paul ultimately gave his life to keep the gospel intact. And, you know, we have to have that same commitment. And I know that, hey, you know what, we're all a work in progress. You know, we're all, you know, God is chiseling away and get that extra coarse sandpaper. You know, he's, he's working on us. But, you know, I'm so thankful that God has recorded these things for us in the word that you know we can look at a man a man's life who just refused to give in just he just got saved and you know god used him in a way that um you know really altered all of our lives and uh, of course complete completed uh, the last half of the new testament But Paul was a man who felt comfortable in his own skin. And, you know, I'll tell you, there's um, there's a lot of things that, um, well, see, my wife is here, so she could probably tell you. But, you know, the Lord has just been chipping away, been chipping away. And I'm going to not, I'm not going to, I don't want to babble because I, I could just, you know, I, I could, I'm getting comfortable sitting here, you know, talking to you guys. But we got to, we got to now more than ever um, stand, stand fast. Richard's got that t-shirt on. I was tempted to have him come up here and read it to us. But, you know, we have to take a stand, Right. We have to stand fast in the Lord and in the power of his might. And God thought of us so much that he has allowed us to live in these times. You know, it's almost like he's saying baseball season ended tonight. He gets on the phone to the bullpen. Okay, it's getting close to the end. Send out my best reliever. You know, God has called us for such a time as this, and these are not easy times. But if you think like I do, God knows what he's talking about, right? Uh, Pastor Mark's not here, but Pastor Mark will tell you, God's smart, right? So the, he, he, this is all part of God's plan, we're here, we live on this planet, 
We're born again believers. We love the Lord. And God has called us to be a voice, to be a light, to be a witness. And you know what? The rest of it, you know, what? Well, we just got to go out and do it. We just have to do it. However that translates in our lives, our work, wherever. And God's going to do the rest. God's in control. You know, the Judaizers, I mean, throughout the book of Acts, I mean, it's, it should be more of the exploits of the Jewish legalists to try to kill Paul. I mean, it's the whole book of Acts, the history of the church. When you see um, the commitment that those believers had, but you know what? God had called them to that, and they lived through that, and they were a witness for him. You know, and I, I, I just pray that um, we honestly give that some thought. I've been giving it some thought, you know, and I'm asking the Lord, you know, God, there's some areas I need some tweaking. Yes, I need a little of that coarse sandpaper. There's some things that I need working on in my life, but just do it. Do it, Lord, because I know that um, when... <laughs> It can only get better. It can only get better. And that's my prayer for you guys, that, you know, we understand Paul, what he's saying. He's, and we're going to, when he gets into chapter 2, it even gets better because now he's not reinforcing the fact that God had called him, but now he's going to start reinforcing the fact that the word of God is true. And he's going to be standing on that. So with that said, um, I think it'll be another Another month, but we'll get into um, we'll get into chapter two next time. Lord, um, I know sometimes, Lord, I get off on these little um, rabbit trails, but um, I, I pray that we all um, we all understand that um, you're God and we're not. That you've um, you've called us for. Um, a purpose, a reason. Lord, we're um, your ambassadors. I'm here in Rochester, New York, in Penfield. And God, I pray that um, that we would be um, more conformed and transformed by your word um, than ever before, Lord. That we would we would just yield more and more to you and you know, sometimes we think, wow, you know, I'm just so blessed. And, and I think of just how much more you want to do in us and through us. So I pray, God, that we would be available for you to use us, that we would um, be obedient to that call, whatever it is, Lord. If it's speaking to a coworker tomorrow or whatever, the person who at Starbucks, whatever, Lord, that we would be faithful to what you've called us to do. And God, we're just so thankful that you don't, you're not into making clones, but we're all individual parts of your body. And I pray, God, that once we find that, that place in the body where we belong, that we would flourish there. So we thank you for that, for your active hand in our lives, Lord. Uh, get us home safe tonight. And Lord, we, uh, we just pray if you give us tomorrow that we'll uh, live it totally for you. So we praise you, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.